Greetings everybody, I'm back to Brits and it's a blessing for me to be with you and today I'm going to be talking about the justification of life. Now before we get into our message, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for the great opportunity that I have to preach this message where you have come to justify us in your life, where you've come to justify us with your fruit, with a life that is flooded with love. Thank you, Lord, that you are not a legalistic God, but that you are a God that is relational. You are a relationship-orientated being, a God that relates to us as your very own, where you've come to do that which is just towards us. Thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. And I thank you, Father, for everyone that's watching, that they will just have an enlightened mind to see the dimensions of your love and for empowering me to preach this. Amen. If you're watching this via television, uh, this is a recording of our Internet Web Church live stream that streams every Sunday. If you want to know more about our Internet Church, I want you to go to our website. Go to dynamicministries.com and there you can just click on Web Church and see what this is all about. Now today I want to um, read a passage from Romans chapter 3 and we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between righteousness and justification because there is a difference between righteousness and justification and you're also going to see that uh, the way wherein we are justified doesn't have that much to do with a legal process wherein we have been guilty and now God doesn't see us as guilty anymore. In my book, uh, Born from Innocence, I've explained what innocence is. And innocence is declared by God as the ability not to harm. In other words, what God has done in Jesus Christ is, He has come to bring us to a place where we can experience His innocence. And God has come and brought innocence to everybody, the platform from where we can live and have His life and live a life where we don't harm ourselves or harm others because of His life in us. So many times we have thought that the law is the way unto life. When we have said, um, <coughs> and this is what the Old Testament people believed about the law, they believed, as Paul wrote it in Romans 7, he said that the way that seemed unto life, now what he meant by that was that the law was seen as a way unto eternal life, wherein you would live like God, meaning that you would not be immortal anymore, but that you will have immortality. Now the Bible clearly says in Romans that those who seek immortality, God will give unto them eternal life. You see, we have had such a wrong understanding of what salvation actually is uh, that we, we have not understood the gospel and we cannot make sense out of what Christ has actually come to do. What happened in Adam and Eve was when they sinned, death entered. Sin entered through this system of death and man was not anymore and he was not at a place where he could partake of eternal life. And God then came in Jesus, and when he died and rose again, 
He conquered sin and death. And you know that the wages of sin is death. And should he be able to conquer death, he has also conquered and empower, uh, conquered and defeated everything that leads unto death, which would be sin. And that is why we can have a holy life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, um, I'm going to read from Romans 3. It says in Romans 3, 19, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that the world may become guilty before God. Now, <coughs> that sounds as if God wants us to feel guilty. But that's not what it means. We need to understand that God didn't change. The God of the Old Testament is exactly the same God as the God of the New Testament. And the um, I actually want to say God is the same God. He has never changed. He is a loving God. He is a good God. He is a caring God. So many times we think that under the Old Testament, God was under a judicial obligation to kill man because man had sin. That is not true. God was not under a legal obligation to kill man when man would sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin or, and I want to define sin as not sharing in the eternal life of God, brings forth death. And that just makes so much sense. The wages of or the result of not sharing in God's quality of life will cause you to have a life that doesn't have the attributes of God's life, which is an eternal life. And you would, like the Bible says to um, says clearly uh, to Adam, that you are from dust and unto, unto dust you will return. So <coughs> when we look at this passage, it says here that the law was given that every man may become guilty before God. Now, that word guilty, we can interpret it and say that the law was given so that every man can see that he doesn't have his, that by his own ability, he cannot be saved. Uh, <coughs> which I think will be good because through the law is the experiential knowledge of sin and by the law we can clearly see that we by our own power can never save our own lives from sin and death. No man, by trying to obey the law, can get rid of sin. We need to realize that. If you've got a problem with lust, no law can set you free from that. You can have, you can have all kinds of laws. It's like uh, um, you can come and say, well, I shouldn't be alone, uh, with, uh, alo alone somewhere with a lady. You can say that you shouldn't, you struggle with some form of a pornography you can say I shouldn't be alone there and you can have a system wherein people can know about this and you can acknowledge this to people and all those kind of things and you can say I shouldn't do this for it will destroy my life whatsoever law you have and as you obey those laws you might find that you are not doing that thing practically anymore but you're not set free from sin only Jesus and what he's done in his resurrection can set you free. Nothing else can. The law cannot give you life. 
You trying to obey the law cannot give you life. For the law was written unto Jesus so that Jesus could know what to do to save man. It was the law was actually a letter unto Christ. And I'm saying that because I'm going to explain to you the Greek meaning of the word guilty. That word is only used once in the Bible. It's only used once in the Bible. And this is the meaning of that word. It means to be under the right of God or under the justice of God. That's what it means. The word right there where it says under the right or the word gu or guilty means under, composed out of two words, under and right. And that word right is the root word of righteousness. <coughs> so what he's actually saying is that by the law, every mouth is stopped because the, laws, the law points unto Christ. So by the law, if you look at the, the law, the law's message from the beginning to the end is that we will have a Messiah that will save us. That's what the whole Old Testament law says. If you go and study Deuteronomy, if you go and study Exodus, if you go and study Leviticus, and you look at all these things, you will find that Romans was written out of all those Old Testament scriptures. As I preached last Sunday, that in the resurrected Jesus, the disciples' minds were opened and they could understand the scripture, that it all pointed unto Christ. So what the law is actually saying is, the law is saying, you can never by your own power save your life <coughs> or be saved from sin. The law is saying that, a that God loves you. Th that the law says. The law prophesies about a Messiah that will come and save us. So it says here that through the law, every mouth is stopped. In other words, if you really see what the law is actually saying, no man will say that I can be justified by my own works. No man will say it. For the law was given that all may become or all come into being under the right or the righteousness of God. So what he's actually saying is that the law brought us to a place where God could, where every man can say, well, by my own power, I cannot do it. And I am now under the righteous action of God, wherein God comes to save me. Now, if we say right and we talk about the right of God, we're talking about his, his uh, <coughs> I don't know if there's English word like that, but basically the equity of the equitable deed that God can bring forth. In other words, the holiness of the holy actions of God. So what he's saying is that by the law, we don't stand guilty before God. By the law and through what the law says, we are coming to a place where we can stand under the justification that God can bring. Because the law points unto Christ. The law shows that the Gentile cannot by his own power save himself from sin and death. The law shows that the um, Jew cannot save himself by his own power from sin and death. Therefore, the law leaves us only with God's right, wherein God says the, <coughs> the, the righteousness that you are under or the 
the holiness of your holy deeds, meaning the power of human ability cannot set you free. It cannot bring you peace. It cannot bring you joy. It cannot save you in any form or fashion. It cannot give you what God has dreamt for you. The law cannot do that. And now he says, we are now being transferred from the right or the kind of a power of holiness that we could have by our own power unto the power of God where God, free from our works, justifies us. Now I want to say it this way to understand justification. <coughs> We're going to look at that in depth today. Jesus was righteous when he walked this earth. But Jesus was not justified. Now you might say, Bertie, how's that possible? What do you mean? <coughs> righteous means as you ought to be. And there are many definitions. I don't want to just talk so much about righteousness, but righteous means as you ought to be. But justified, this is the meaning of justified. Justified means to prove or manifest the righteousness that you have, to render righteous. That's what justified means. So you can be righteous, but like, like South Africans, you, you can be a person that was formerly oppressed, and now there is a new law. And under this new law, this law says that you have the right unto owning property. But that doesn't mean you're justified. Justified means that justice had its way and treated you according to your righteousness and now manifests what belongs to you. That is justification. So today we're going to talk about the justification of life. And we're going to look at the righteousness of God in how righteous God is, how God's equitable deeds towards man was manifested in order to justify man with eternal life and the fruit of the Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit <coughs> is not what you must do in order to be righteous. The fruit of the Spirit is the proof of your righteousness. The fruit of the Spirit is actually God's justification towards you, for He says it's unjust that my people are bound by fear, bound by anger, uh, bound with all these things. That's unjust. And he's not saying that I'm going to die for them so that they can get their act together and live right. No. God says it is not right if I've planned for man to be a sharer in my quality of life and they're not sharing in it. So now he will justify you with, with the fruit of the Spirit. So as what a person in South Africa has got a right unto owning land, buying land and so forth, uh, and there are many rights that people have now in the new South Africa that they didn't have under the old, both sides, white and black, we've got more rights. <coughs> now that we have those rights, that is wonderful. But it's now up to the government to bring forth some of those things in our lives because we cannot bring it forth by ourselves, for it's within their power. In the very same way, Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, temperance, and all these kind of things are not commands unto man, but it is what God says He will justify you unto, for you are righteous unto that. 
Can you see how there's a massive difference in this whole thing? Glory to God. <clears throat> so, with that in mind, you can know that God would never want you to feel guilty. He would never want you to feel ashamed or walk in shame. He doesn't want you to take account of your past anymore. The only past that we can take account of is the past wherein we see uh, our design in what God has planned for us when He made Adam and Eve. And the only past that you can take account of is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the only thing in the past that you can relate to from where you can uh, define who and what you are. Nothing else. Only that. If you have, <coughs> I just feel, just by the Holy Spirit, this is, this is from God. If you've lost a lot of money, if you have lost a lot of money, you can never look to what has happened there, how maybe irresponsible you were, how you didn't do the right thing, how you uh, treated your boss wrongly, how you came late, or whatever happened. If you've lost a lot of money on the stock market, whatever it is, if you have lost a lot of money, you cannot look back to that and have that as any point of reference towards who and what you are. If you want to look back, look back completely. Look back at least 2,000 years ago and look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and see His promise of life and how He is now promising you the proof of who and what you are, which is a life wherein you are justified unto sharing in God's quality of life without you trying to obey any law. Glory to God. So it says in uh, uh, Romans 3.19, Now we know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to them that are under the law, for this purpose, that every mouth may be stopped. And now it adds, it, it adds something. And that all the world, so the law was written towards the Jews, so that even, so that every nation, Jew and Gentile, can say, no man can boast in his flesh. And then it adds, it says, and that the whole world can come under the right of the Almighty God. Now that's translated here as guilty before God. But it should be under God's right before God. <clears throat> now, for those that say, but that means guilty or it means the vengeance of God, I want to just quote Isaiah 61 verse 2. It says here that Jesus Christ came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God. Okay, so what did Jesus come to do? Jesus Christ came, now the law points to Christ, and what did Christ come to do? Christ, He preached Himself in Luke. He said, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, or the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, what the wonderful thing was of Jubilee is, that they were restored unto the original land and the original property and all debt was written off and all those kind of things. And I like the word acceptable year here. It says the, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And then a semicolon in the King James and then it explains what the vengeance of God does. To comfort all who mourn. So, if your definition of vengeance doesn't bring comfort, you've got the wrong definition. Because the vengeance of God 
is when God took vengeance on what is destroying humanity, and that was a belief system of works righteousness, a belief system of law, which destroyed man, wherein man lived themselves instead of sharing in the life of God. Amen. <clears throat> so, even if you want, I just put that verse in there that you can just have peace because some might say, well, you know, the vengeance of God. I thank God for His vengeance because John the Baptist <clears throat> talked about the vengeance of God and he said the axe is at the root and he's chopping out a certain tree and the tree that he was chopping out was the tree wherein legalism and law was standing which was salvation by ethnicity which is this whole old Jewish system wherein life was found in your flesh and not in God's love for you. That's why he said the axe is at the root, the tree is being chopped out and then he went on and he said God can of these stones uh, bring forth children of Abraham. So he was saying, listen, God is ending this old thing. He's bringing a new, bringing forth a new system wherein we define who are the children of Abraham. And that is not the law system. And that is the vengeance of our God. The day that burns like a fire, where the fire of God's love came and burnt up everything that destroys man so that man can stand free before God and be under the right of God. So man was under the right of the devil. Man was under the right of works righteousness. But now the law was given so that every nation can, can see that I cannot boast in my own flesh. And the law was also given for the purpose that man can now stand under the right of God. The word guilty there is, I think, the worst translation that you can ever find because God's plan is never that you would stand guilty. God has come to save his people. If my child is out in the ocean drowning, <clears throat> I'm not going to try and tell him he's guilty. The whole thing about salvation would be to save him. And I would come, if I want to save my son, if you want to make, make it a long story, imagine my son is on top of a building there and he wants to, uh, he's very depressed and he wants to jump down from that building and I want to climb up that building there might be people that say you're not allowed to go to that floor or this or that but if I if I go and I have <coughs> a law that says I am allowed there then he can now be under my right and not under the right of the drug dealer but under my right and under my right I'm not there to make him feel guilty I want to bring him under my right which makes me righteous or good. I want to bring him under my holiness, which doesn't take his bad actions, his drug abuse in, into account, but wants to restore his life. And then I want to justify him unto a brand new life by giving my life for that. That is <clears throat> how we should see these things. Now Romans 3.20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the experiential knowledge of sin or by the law we can see that we are not partakers of eternal life inherently. In other words, through the law we can clearly see 
that there has to come someone to save us, we cannot save ourselves. It says in Romans 5.18, Therefore, as by <coughs> the offense of one, judgment came upon all men unto condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto the justification of life. So it says here that the disobedience of one man, through the disobedience of one man, death entered unto all. But through the obedience of one, the life of Christ is now available unto all men. So he, and, and what I like here, he says, that through this righteousness of one, that righteousness of one, the equitable deed of one man, or the faithfulness of one man, justification of life. In other words, life plus the proof of or the manifestation of that life comes to us. We need to know that Jesus was righteous, but he was only justified when he was raised from the dead. And that we see in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And that is the justification of life that God is bringing for us. Now I'm going to read this passage and I'm quickly going to recap shortly what I'm saying that we don't miss the point as we go on to Romans, um, <coughs> Romans 3 verse 20. Okay, Jesus, so here it says, talks about through the disobedience of one, basically many were made sinners or not partakers of eternal life. And now through the obedience of one, what has come unto us is the free gift upon all men unto, what? The justification or the proof of righteousness or the manifestation of the life of God. That is what it is, the justification of life or to be justified with life. <coughs> Remember now, justify means to prove or to render as righteous or to prove righteousness. Romans 1, 4. <coughs> and I declare, uh, uh, listen, this is now Jesus. And Paul comes and he talks about Jesus that he's preaching about. And he says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So when was God, when was Jesus declared to be the son of God? He was called the Son of God already by baptism, but He was not declared a son. Why? Because Jesus was still in His body experiencing things that normal carnal people experience. He was hungry. He, was, uh, uh, <coughs> he, could, he could be tempted. Uh, Jesus, uh, I, I mean, He was just a normal human being. He was still subject to death. Jesus could still die. No better, Jesus couldn't die. He died. <laughs> he died. If Jesus couldn't die, he wouldn't be able to die on the cross. Jesus came when he was born. When he came from heaven, he gave his life up so that he would become part of a corruptible being called a human. And he was a normal human being. But while he was in normal human flesh, showing no sign of being the son of God, in order to be a son of God, you have to be immortal. He showed no sign of that, but showed dying flesh. And when he was in the desert, he was, in his life, he was seeing that he's hungry. He's busy dying. And then the devil said to him, find your eternal life. Get your life never to die. Sh live forever. 
Be like the Most High who is an immortal God. Be immortal right now by your own works. Let's see. You create for yourself bread to eat and then you live forever. Then Jesus said, I am, I will live. In other words, I will be vindicated as the Son of God who I know I am, but I don't have any proof of that, by my Father. And the Father, this is what the Scripture says here, and He was declared to be the Son of God. In other words, He was manifested as the Son of God. How? By the Spirit of holiness, according to the Spirit of holiness. What is that Spirit of holiness? That is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God's faithfulness towards Jesus and towards us by raising Him from the dead. Now, we will have the justification of life or to be rendered as the sons of God. By what? By the resurrection of the dead. Meaning that under this resurrection of Christ and what came into this world because of this new form of physicality, this new form of life, we are now under the power of this last Adam and He is now our Christ. And as we are under that power and ruled and governed by that power, he, we are ruled and governed by the love of God unto a life flooded with the fruit of the Holy Spirit that will in the end result into physical immortality in the return of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. Sadly, we have made heaven our destination instead of the resurrected Christ. We've made where Jesus is our destination instead of Jesus Himself. And that is a big problem. That is a very big problem because we are missing the whole gospel. Without Jesus in heaven, heaven is empty. So why do you aim for heaven instead of aiming for Christ? Colossians 3 verse 2 says, When Christ who is your life return, you will be glorified. That's what he is talking about. Now, <clears throat> let me, um, for some of you that's watching this on television, later on this will be the second session of this program. You can go to our website and go into the first session, just see the foundation that I've laid unto this talking about the justification of life. But I want to just recap quickly what I said in, in, in this first 30 minutes. We need to understand that Jesus was righteous, but he was justified, his righteousness was proven, in God bringing him to a place where he was above death in his physical body. Now, that is a very important thing to understand. We've also said that the law was not given that we must become guilty before God, but that we must come under the judgment of God or the right of God where God's judgment is against what destroys us and wherein it redeems us. If my son is swimming in the ocean and the shark is coming his way, my judgment is that my son's life is more important than the life of the shark. And my judgment will be manifested in that waters as I come closer to save my son. And if the shark has already bitten my son and I've got a gun there, I'm going to shoot that shark. I'm going to kill the shark. Why? Because my judgment is to set my son free. My judgment is not against my son, but unto the deliverance of my son. 
And that is how, what it says here, the law was given that the whole world can come to a place where they can see they cannot be saved by their own works and they can come under the rule and the judgment of God, which is unto freedom. Now, Romans 3.21 <coughs> says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So it says here that the goodness of God towards man is now manifested without the law, meaning you don't have to be under the law or there doesn't have to be a law system in place in order for God's righteousness or His righteous act towards you to be manifested towards you. This righteousness of God is without the law manifested and the law and the prophets testify on what God would do. That means whenever you read the law, you have to read and see it as what God would come to do in Jesus to set us free or you're reading the law completely wrongly. The reason why the law has passed away is not because God said it is just a bad system, but it's because what that system was there for has now been fulfilled. It's like the fulfillment of a prophecy. If I had a prophecy that I'm going to marry Helena, that prophecy stands until I have married her. Then that prophecy passes away, not in that it is bad, but in that whatsoever it prophesied unto is now fulfilled. And I've come to the reality of it. In the very same way, the Old Testament law pointed unto a Savior that will save His people and where His people will not have to be justified or have life by their own works, preserve their lives by obedience to laws or any of those things, but where their lives would be preserved by the Almighty God. Amen. So here it says that this righteousness of God is now manifested without the law, yet the law is witnessing, talking about it. <clears throat> Some read that and says, you know, since the law witness testifies of that, the law is still in power. Rubbish. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Christ, unto all and upon all of them that believe. So it says, this righteousness of God or this equitable deed of God is by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now that faith of Jesus, um, that word faith should be translated differently, but let's use it just the way it is. So what he's actually saying is that the righteous act of God towards man, where man is now under the right or the rulership of God, wherein God's justice unto salvation or His justice to redeem us from what's killing us will take place is by the faith or the persuasion of Jesus Himself. In other words, by the faith that Jesus had when He walked on this earth. Another way of saying that is through the faithfulness of Jesus. So the righteous act of God to save man is through how faithful Jesus was towards us and towards God, even unto death. Can you see that? It says the righteous act of God, the righteousness of God. Many times we see that as a, a, a legal stance, as if we've been legally made righteous. God doesn't look at us through the law. And the law is not God's God. God doesn't bow to the law. He doesn't bow to any law. God doesn't sit in heaven and say, well, because man has sinned and I'm a just God, I have to punish man. 
that is just rubbish. It is not gospel. It is not inside the character of God. It's not inside the logic of a father-son relationship. It's not inside relationship. It is a simple legalistic death system, should we say, since Adam sinned, God stood there and he, because he's a righteous God, had to kill Adam because he's a righteous God. He didn't want to kill Adam, but he had to go against his own will, basically, and submit to some higher authority, which was the law of some form of a law. And because he's a righteous God, he has to now submit to that and has to kill Adam. That is not true. It's not true at all. Adam, <coughs> when he sinned, entered into something that was destroying him. And then God came and he's, he wanted to give life to Adam and he was faithful to Adam even if Adam wasn't faithful to him. And he was so faithful unto Adam that in, in thousands of years, five and a half thousand years after Adam's sin, Jesus Christ was manifested and God showed his faithfulness to humans in sin by becoming a human in or under sin in the likeness of sinful flesh and he, Jesus showed his faithfulness to us in walking in that flesh. He showed his faithfulness to the Father in obeying even unto death. And the Father showed his faithfulness to humanity when he raised Christ from the dead so that we can have a holy life by God's faithfulness to us. My goodness. <laughs> that is the good news. Hallelujah. Paul comes and he says, this is the good news, that Jesus Christ died and that he was risen from, that he has risen from the dead. And then he goes on, he rebukes people, says, how do some of you say that Christ has not risen from the dead? And then he rebukes people for saying that the resurrection was just a spiritual resurrection. And he's actually saying, if the resurrection was just a spiritual resurrection, then you cannot be saved from sin. Now, next week we're going to get more into that and what body we rise into in the resurrection and so forth. It says here, for all have sinned come short of the glory of God. It says that the righteousness of God, which is by the faithfulness of Jesus unto all and to all of them that believe, is unto all and upon all them that believe. It's another thing, it's impossible to be saved without faith. You have to have faith in Christ in order to be saved. It's not that God looks at your faith and says, well, does he have faith? Okay, John has got faith, Mary has got faith, Peter's got faith, Bertie's got faith, Helena, Kathy, we've got, we, they've got faith, okay, save them. That's not how it works. It's not a law that we need to obey. Faith is a matter of design. The moment you, 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 you believe in something, the very thing you believe in starts to shape your life. If you believe in uh, there's somebody outside here that wants, if I believe there's somebody outside here that wants to bomb us, if I believe it, it will shape my life right now. I will pray, I will do something, who knows what I'll do we, if I believe that. But I don't believe that. That's why, even if there, there might be somebody outside there that wants to bomb me right now, but I don't believe it. Therefore, it doesn't have any effect on me. Not because the guy outside doesn't want to affect me, but because my heart is not receiving the, the effect. But the moment you believe something, what you believe in lives in you and shapes your life. So we see here that Jesus <coughs> is coming and he's saying that his righteous action to justify everybody by bringing life as the ruling force over people is unto all. 
and we find that it actually is manifesting on those lives and in those people that believe it. When Adam sinned, what took place is death entered. The Bible says sin entered, but that sin, the sin, sin actually means not sharing in the eternal life of God. And then through that sin, eventually Adam physically died. But that was because of a death system. So, if you married to death, what will you bear? You'll bear the fruits of death. So what did Jesus come and to do? He came to kill this man that we were married to, which was death. Because we were under death, and let me use some time. This might be difficult to explain, but let me explain to you what it means. When God made Adam, he made him out of the dust of the earth, and he called him Adam, so that Adam would know that he's inside his own ability, he can only have the ability of ground, dust. In your own ability, you will never have eternal life. Adam, never eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Never come to a place where you basically apply the ability of dust when you try to be like God by your own ability. Because you will die. Because you are from dust and all that dust can produce is dust. You see, you cannot, dust is a dead thing. And if you form from something that is dead, it means that you are a being that finds your life from outside of yourself. You are subject to God. You are alive because of Him. But the moment you're saying, I am cutting myself away from God, and I'm going to be like God, a self-existing one, which exists in the solitude of myself, and that is the law and works. The law and works is, I look at what I must do, and I do it, and by my good work, I will live forever. That's it. So they were engaging the ability, human ability. That is what they were engaging. And when they do that, they take that which dust is. Dust is dead. Dust is not alive. And they're under the power of death. Now God came and He had to take that dust. He had to become that dust and glorify dust so that dust could have eternal life. And that is that one speck of dust, Jesus, that became immortal, not dying. Now we, all specks of dust, are now not under death anymore, but under life because dust was glorified. And those who believe this are accepting this rule and now... As you naturally would sin and hate and have bitterness and didn't need five lessons on how to live wrong, we now are under the life of God. We are now under the justification of this resurrection life wherein that life came to one speck of dust which is Jesus and now we can relate to not this body, but the glorified dust, which is Jesus. And we can say, His life is my life. And the moment I say, His glorified body, physical glorified body, that life is my life, then I am not drawing on the power of dying dust, but I'm drawing on the power of glorified dust. And that's why that truth in my heart brings forth a power that is greater than just the power of feeling good because God is not angry because you have sinned. I've said this previously. It is very good news to know that God doesn't look at your sins. But it is not the gospel. It is gospel. But it's not the gospel. 
Because God has never looked at your sin. God has never looked at your sin. If God has never looked at your sin, the good, and people start to believe a lie, and the lie they believe is that God is looking at my sin, then it will be very good news if you tell them God doesn't look at your sin. He values you for who you are, and you know we preach this on a regular basis here. But the gospel is the good news that man was now delivered from living under the power of death, but we are now presented with a new husband, the resurrected Jesus, who does have immortal human flesh, wherein he is saying that that immortal human body, wherein he was raised up into, that man, that includes all of us. It includes everybody. And as we believe upon that truth, we find that we stop to engage a dying body as our platform from where we relate to God and try to gain life. But we are now engaging the resurrected body. And when we do that, that's why we have communion. We celebrate the death of the old. <laughs> because we are now looking at the resurrected body. A glorified, undying human body. And as that power that raised Christ from the dead is powerful beyond sin, beyond death. We are now under that. And now we are set free from bitterness and uh, anger and lust and alcohol abuse, whatever you want to call it. I don't care what it is. Even a wrong understanding of God. We are saved from that by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to ask you this question. When Jesus was dead, what could he do to raise himself? What can a dead man do to raise himself? Nothing. He could only, prior to his death, trust the Father. That the Father would raise him up. Or that the Spirit of holiness, which is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the love of God, the, the very essence of God's life, would, and God's faithfulness towards him will raise him up. That's it. And that is what we are in. We are in a place where we solely trust on the integrity and the faithfulness of God to raise us up. And that is it. That means we need to understand this. You cannot stop your sin. You cannot stop your sin. It's impossible. But God has come and said, I love you so much that I will stop it. And the way I'll stop it is by presenting a new form of physicality that you can relate to, that you will not live yourself, but that you live Him. That's what the Bible says, that we should not live unto ourselves. Adam started to live unto himself. He took his own power and lived and, and tried to live by it. And God said, I've defined who you are by your very name. You are Adam. You are of the earth, earthy. You in your own ability is as this dust. You cannot live forever by, this, by the ability of dust. And then when Adam entered that system, God said, my goodness, the only thing I have to do now is I have to enter, the, enter that, end the old man, end that death man, the old Adam, and then glorify man so that physical human beings can relate to a new form of physicality. That's why I want to tell you, if you believe that Jesus is not returning, that Jesus became Casper the ghost, and that he's now returning in us, 
as a ghost in some form or just as some form of actions, I will tell you your gospel is powerless and you're still in your sin. You, you, what I mean by in your sin, you can say, but I've stopped my smoking. I, when I talk about sin is you are still in a place where you are not a sharer in the eternal life of God. Because you are not standing under the resurrection power of Jesus, but you are standing under your own ability, which cannot give life. Well, church, I'm running out of time. I've preached 48 minutes here, and <clears throat> I haven't even touched half of the passages here. It says here, let me just read verse 23. It says, verse 24, it says, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ, whom God has set forth to be the propitiation for our sins by His blood, by faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness, His equitable deed for the remission or the deliverance from sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. It talks about the sins that are passed. He's talking about Adam's sin, the sin of the past, where Adam brought that sin and sins into the world, that we can now have redemption from that through the faithfulness of God. God is so faithful that He's telling you and He's promising you the very thing that you're suffering with. I'm faithful to deliver you and set you free from that. Just see this resurrected, glorified Jesus and don't try and be set free by trying willpower all the time. See the truth. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, I've come and I've preached this message with your passion and your power. And I thank you, Lord, that I can feel your love for us. I thank you, Father, that Jesus was physically raised from the dead and that we can see his physical return and we can see how he has brought an, a physicality that is above sin and death. And that is the truth about us. So therefore, we don't engage human power to preserve their lives by obeying laws, but we engage the truth of the resurrection. Therefore, we are saved spirit, soul, body. And we shall see and be justified with immortality in our bodies in the return of Jesus. Thank you for your power, O God, and that everybody that's watching this is blessed. Amen. Thank you so much for watching this. Next week I'll be with you again and we'll continue to speak from 1 Corinthians 15 on what is this new body that Jesus talks about. With what kind of a body, what kind of body will we have in the resurrection? Thank you so much for watching. God bless.